Hello. And welcome to the Q2 podcast. In case you're wondering, Q2 stands for quantitative and qualitative. That's my clever title. Dr. Lane loved it, right? <laughs> always, always. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the value of quantitative and qualitative research methods. So Dr. Lane, what do you like about quantitative research? What do I like about quantitative research? So one of the things um, that I actually really get a kick out of is that people hear the term quantitative and think quantitative math, numbers, ew. Um, and sure, with quantitative research, there's math happening, um, but it's happening behind the scenes. We have computer programs that actually do the calculations for us. And so I like that it has kind of this intimidating name to it, but really when we break it down, it's super, to, to me at least, quantitative can be super straightforward. Um, the benefit of quantitative research is that we are aiming to predict our behavior. And that is something I really enjoy with quantitative is to be able to tell people how they're going to act in certain situations. And that's the golden standard is to really truly predict behavior, predict communication. Um, but that's what I like about it is being able to predict or to be able to tell how people are going to respond, what they're going to do, what they might say, how they might feel. It gives me kind of this sense of power <laughs> that I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Dr. Manning, what do you like about qualitative research? I like the, in the process of doing qualitative research, it's lots of face-to-face, one-on-one kind of um, interactions. So there's a lot of relationship building between the researcher and the study participants or between the researcher and the research team. So I like the, I like the relationship building aspect that comes from the process of data collection and analysis. And I like that oftentimes um, when you're doing qualitative research, you're eliciting stories from people. So I, I had um, my most recent research project was with uh, neighborhoods in which there's recurrent flooding. So the neighborhoods flood a lot. And I was speaking with people in Hampton. And so I had, you know, my, like my 10 questions that I was asking them. And so that took, I don't know, like half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe to get through the questions. And then I wound up hanging out for like three or four hours with these families just in their home chatting about things, you know, life. So kind of that. So to me, spending time with people and getting to know them on that individual level has a lot of just intrinsic value. So yeah, the relationship building and stories for me are where I like to be able to really understand a situation on a local level. And then, you know, kind of the, maybe the counterpoint to predicting behaviors, thinking about what behaviors might we want to change to have better, um, a better world. And so by understanding people and their situation, you can figure out what motivates them and then think about well, what might be a strategy for a better, um, better behaviors. Yeah. So when you say that you, you, you know, will kind of just hang out in the setting with some of your research participants, is that part of your data collection? Huh? I, yeah, not, that is such or a good could it be? Dr. Lane. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I know in later podcasts, we're going to talk about, um, you know, interviewing and surveys and those kind of things. And I will say that 
I record my interviews because as a communication scholar, what people say is really important to me and I want to get the exact words down. Other interview situations, maybe you would just take notes on what people said. So I do I do use an audio recorder and I usually start, once I get people's permission, I start recording as soon as possible because I want it's just for people to forget that the recorder's there. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I'll end the interview um, and I usually end it, you know, is there anything else you want to add? But I won't turn it off because oftentimes it seems like in, in my experience, the minute you turn your recorder off is when they say something amazing. Like, yeah, oh, and I didn't record it. So, so I usually wait a while to turn it off. Although in these conversations that I was having with families in Hampton, um, I did turn it off after a while. Like I didn't, the, you know, we're talking just about all kinds of random things. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was not a part of my, um, specific data collection, but it it just, another value of qualitative research is it really puts a face on situations. So if you have, um, you know, whatever the big issue is when I was in grad school, I took a class from, um, Peter Adler and he and his wife looked at, um, drug culture. And so you've got, this was, gosh, they were doing the research back in the 80s with like Reagan and like war on drugs and all those kind of things. And so they had lots of quantitative data in their research. They did an ethnography. So theirs was more observational. They got in the field to really understand what's going on with um, with drug culture. And so it, puts, hmm. it just puts a face on things where it, it, it humanizes it. It makes it more personal. You can understand, you know, more on that level what's going on. Yeah. And that the reason I ask is it's just such an interesting difference to me between qualitative and quantitative because you talk about relationship building and putting a face to the context and the and the data that you're getting. Whereas as for me as a quantitative scholar, I don't want that. I want to stay <laughs> as as distant from my participants as really possible. Um, my data collection periods have a very specific beginning and end. The experiment starts, you get your treatment, the experiment ends. Um, the survey is very, you know, beginning and end. There's there's no additional context or, you know, like you said, leaving the recorder still going just to, to see what else you might get. Oh, no. In quantitative, it's very set. It's definitely more strict, I would say, in beginning and ending. And and we definitely stay, and we don't want to know our participants. And and later on, you know, when we in our in a future podcast, we're going to talk about the ethics of identifying participants. But just theoretically, I don't want to put a face to the data. I don't want that kind of additional context in quantitative research. So I think that's an interesting difference that we have yeah. and in a difference that we see in in what we like about our respective um, types of research that we do. Yeah, yeah. So I think this might be a lovely segue into the next question of how your approach to research aligns with your philosophical assumptions like, you know, ontology and epistemology. Yeah, so just to, to epistemology and ontology are these philosophical terms that, um, you know, similar to to uh, the word quantitative that people hear and immediately shut down. Ontology and epistemology are those philosophical terms that people immediately say, oh, too too philosophical, I don't wanna know. So let me just break it down as simply as possible. Ontology deals with what is truth, what is knowledge, Um, whereas epistemology 
is how do we uncover that knowledge? So once we know what we understand truth to be, then we have to decide how can we uncover what that truth is. So there are two types of ontological perspectives. Post-positivism says objective truth exists outside of our own perspectives. There is a world outside of my own view that I can then epistemologically uncover through quantitative methods. I can um, uncover through science. Whereas interpretivism is the other ontological perspective that says reality exists within ourselves. So reality is our own perspective. So qualitative research is the epistemology of interpretivism. It gets into the deeper, you know, contextual understandings that quantitative is not interested in. So we can also, we can simplify it. Quantitative is more macro perspective. We want the mass numbers Whereas qualitative is more of a micro perspective, um, looking at specific instances, specific contexts, getting more into, like you said, the personal personal relationships. So as the overview, uh, like just to kind of break that down, um, Dr. Manning, how would you how would you describe your ontological and epistemological perspectives? I'm big into social construction. I think that. I think we create the worlds in which we live. And so I feel really connected to uh, this, you know, the space I inhabit. I feel like the choices that I make shape, you know, shape this world. Um, sometimes I joke that um, people live in a hell of their own making. And I, you know, I try not <laughs> to live in a hell of my own making, but sometimes I do. Um, I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so it's, um, I think there's, and, and as you pointed out, I get to know my study participants in, in there's, you know, that, that connection. Um, and so then at the kind of at the end of the research process where you've collected your data, you've analyzed your data, and then you want to write it up so people know, you know, so people learn something. Um, it's really important in that moment for a qualitative researcher to position herself or himself really clearly, like say uh, when I did my dissertation research again was a long time ago, but I was looking at families with children from China. So families with visible adoption. And when I went in to interview those families, I often led with, I always led with the fact that I was adopted to kind of build that relationship between, you know, between my, my study participants and me. Um, and then when I wrote it up, I thought it was important for me to explain to whoever was reading it that I was coming from like an in-group of sorts. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I, it was a domestic adoption for me, domestic and closed and private and all those kind of things that the way um, adoption used to be. And I thought it was important for the reader to know, well, here's, here's who I am as a researcher. So that um, being transparent and positioning yourself as a researcher, I think is kind of central to thinking about how do we, how do we do things and, and collect information and the, truth with a capital T, I mean, I'm more truth with a lowercase mm -hmm. T. I guess it's more um, relative. What, what about yeah. you? It, you know, the epistemology ontology discussion is really interesting for me because as a quantitative researcher, I very much believe in the objective reality that exists outside of our own perspectives. There is a capital T, big truth, uncoverable through science. Now that's me as the researcher. And, and even then, I do believe there is objective communication behavior. But as a human, 
<laughs> I also realized that um, we have different perspectives. We do have different views. And like you said, what creating the hell we live in, is that what you, creating our own hell? <laughs> I said um, <laughs> hell of our own making. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do believe in that and, and I see that. But as a researcher, I'm not interested in that. And I say that I, I am interested in your research, Dr. Manning, and qualitative research. <laughs> but in my own world as a researcher, that is not what I'm interested in. I don't, um, I, I use scientific methods to uncover that big objective capital T outside kind of truth. Um, and so as a researcher, I very much separate myself from my data. Whereas, like you said, you need to contextualize your position as the researcher within that community, essentially. Whereas for me, uh-uh, I stay away from that. I am objective. I don't, you know, I don't contextualize it in that sort of way. But as a human, I recognize it's it's not as simple as I want it to be as a researcher. Does that make sense? It's a little confusing maybe to say it that way, but. Well, I mean, it makes sense to me, but, you know, we're friends. So yeah, we'll, we'll see in people's emails like what? Um, <laughs> no, and yes, it does make sense to me. So I'm wondering at this point, what what is the what's the point of qualitative and quantitative research? Like, why, why do we need to have both? Well, for me, I do see. So, again, I it, it kind of ties into, you know, what I just said that um I, I value the objective numbers, uncovering that objective truth and making claims about the general masses. And that's the goal of quantitative research. But when we do quantitative research, we also have outliers. We also have things that we can't explain through quantitative methods. And that's where qualitative becomes the benefit. I can't explain 100% of my study participants and what's going on. So then we can further explore that through qualitative methods. So combining them gives us a larger overall perspective, explanation, um, view of our human communication. We have to have both in order to get a full understanding of us as humans. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and as you were saying, you know, you're what interests you as a researcher and how you sometimes, you know, live your life as a human, they don't always align, you know, perfectly. I have a similar, um, I would say a similar orientation. I follow a biosocial perspective where I feel like, you know, so the social piece is where we socially construct these worlds in which we live, but there's still the biology piece. I mean, we have these, we live in bodies, like mm -hmm. this carbon-based life form that we share, like we all take in air and we, you know, we, we have, Things that, <laughs> truths that are self-evident, I'm no, just kidding. Um, we, have, <laughs> we have these things that, that we have in common. And so, of course, of course, you can make generalizations about, like, populations. So I, I, I really love the way quantitative and qualitative research methods work together to give us, you know, baseline of information, or we have a foundation of information that we can trust and that we can build on that to understand the next piece. So it's like kind of like a yin and a yang of, of knowledge. And the other part that I think it's um, understudied in interpersonal communication is the critical piece where you could think about it as transformative or pragmatic. It's that piece where you're inviting change 
on some level. So the pragmatic thing would just be, let's do um, research to understand what's, how could be, be more efficient. So you would make a change, a more practical change. The transformative piece could come from more of a social justice idea where you have quantitative and qualitative research that helps us understand a situation. So how do we want to make, um, you know, like the, the world in which we're living right now is a pandemic world mm -hmm. and a um, social justice, the institutionalized racism mm -hmm. piece. How do you, how do we unpack that and make some changes? And so that's, so that's a critical element, like the, you know, thinking about power and change that I think on the surface, qualitative and quantitative researchers don't immediately look at. And I think that you can use both of these kind of cues to do some C. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can, you know, we're, we're bombarded with all the, you know, numbers um, with coronavirus stuff. We're bombarded with the numbers of percent tests and rising rates and percent positive tests, I mean, and, and rising rates and all of that. And then we also see the lived experiences of people who've recovered or the families that are dealing with that. And in order to make a positive change, we can combine those perspectives of the numbers side as well as the personalized qualitative side of it. So there's benefits to both. Um, and then that's what I kind of wanted to add to that is that there's a lot of focus on differences, quantitative, qualitative, and what's included and excluded, but they actually do work together and we do need both. And I wanted to mention that just you and I, um, and with that group of students, we did a mixed method study on um, friendship transitions going from high school to college and what that means for friendships. And that was a mixed method study where the interviews gave a more in-depth, personalized perspective on how those relation, how those friendships change. And then the quantitative side allowed us to measure objective feelings, which that sounds, you know, like an oxymoron or a like it's objective feelings like that doesn't fit but um it, it gave us both perspectives on what's objectively happening with these friendship transitions but also the more personal personal side of moving away from your high school friends and so um we can't we talk a lot about separating quant and qual but it's not always that simple it's it's more beneficial to kind of combine them sometimes and do mixed methods research Yep. Yep. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, does that, um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Does that cover it for the, the value of qualitative and quantitative research? No, I think that's good. I think we've covered, I think that gives a, a better perspective um, that ultimately it's not, it's not just differences, but also how quantitative and qualitative research works together to give us a fuller understanding of our human communication. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So, hey, if um, if you have any questions out there, be sure to email us at lmanning at cnu.edu or brianna.lane at cnu.edu. So that's it. That's it. That's, that's it, it for Q2. Q2.